All right. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, good, to see, good to see you all this morning. I do want to say thank you uh, from our family for uh, all of the, uh, just the overwhelming outpouring of love and cards and flowers and gifts and meals and uh, the way you took care of my family when I was up in Canada the last uh, several weeks. And uh, of course, yesterday, uh, so many of you who were able uh, came to express your love uh, during the service, the folks who provided the funeral dinner afterwards. Uh, just uh, you do what you do. You do it for me. You do it for anybody else in the congregation. You, uh, you love each other well. And um, I'm really thankful. Our family's thankful. And uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a good, a good week, uh, even though loss is hard. And I know many of you uh, are also struggling with different losses, too. Multiple families have experienced loss, uh, even in this last week. And so uh, we, uh, we keep going on together, right? We bear one another's burdens, and uh, that's, what, that's what we do in, in the church. And so let's keep working at that, keep getting better at that. I, I'll try to get better at that. And uh, you get better at that too. And uh, we'll keep moving toward heaven, which gets closer every day, doesn't it? Yep. Yes, it does. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, Pastor Trey mentioned we're starting First Corinthians next Sunday. Uh, we try. Uh, we tr- we have a habit here of trying to go from Old Testament to New Testament. Try to alternate as we go on our Sunday series. Try to get the whole counsel of God, uh, the whole revelation of the Lord. And so we're excited to go back to the New Testament again, uh, to an epistle of the Apostle Paul. We haven't uh, been in an Apostle Paul epistle since uh, Romans, maybe? Does that sound right? Something like that, maybe? So it's been a little while, so looking forward to... The, the First Corinthians is all about the church, written to a church uh, that was in a lot of crisis. And uh, so there's a lot of instruction, a lot of correction. I think it'll be good for us. Uh, to work through that. We do have scripture journals available again as we do. Uh, we try to provide these at the beginning of uh, every new study. So if it's your habit of uh, taking notes during uh, the sermons, which I think is a good practice, uh, even if you're not a good note taker, it, it helps you to stay focused and keep up with what's going on, pay attention a little better, stay awake sometimes. Um, so these are some journals that have on the one side the copy of the scripture and on the other side, a blank sheet where you can take your notes. Uh, so we've got the uh, illustrated one that has some uh, art, artsy type stuff in it. Uh, then we have the regular black ones as well. Uh, they're back at the information center. $4, I think, we will get you one of those. That's our cost. And uh, would love to have you start using those next Sunday. So that'll be available to you out there. All right. Ecclesiastes, the meaning of life. Uh, Last Sunday, Pastor Trey preached the final text from the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've spent 20 sermons over the past seven months working through this dark and difficult book. Uh, At least from my perspective, it's probably the toughest book that we've ever preached through since I came to Heather Hills, Uh, at least from, from the preacher's perspective, it was. Um, and so I wanted to take some time this morning to think back over the lessons of this book and provide some takeaways that, uh, that can be useful to us, some things to remember, to hang our hats on as we leave this book from week to week use here. I also wanted to give a little time for any testimonies from you as to how the Lord 
um, use this study in your life. Things that uh, the Lord used to help you understand something more about life or to uh, be able to deal with something that comes up in life or um, maybe something, a, a takeaway or, or an application that I won't bring up this morning that uh, stuck out to you. Uh, we'll have some time at the end this morning for some testimonies. And then, as I mentioned, next week we begin our series in 1 Corinthians. But for this time today, let's think about the journey we've just concluded. And I want to talk uh, through this morning 11 themes or lessons or takeaways that I have from this book and that you may have as well, um, and you may add to that number. But hopefully, this will be a useful time for us in cementing some of these truths to our hearts. So I'm going to move quickly uh, through my notes and just touch on each of these, and then we'll have a time at the end where uh, you can share what the Lord has done through you. Maybe it was a particular verse that the Lord uh, made very special to you or uh, something that just uh, an insight that you gleaned through these last seven months. But we'll have time for that at the end. Uh, first of all, number one, if you're taking notes, <laughs> uh, earthly knowledge and experiences cannot ultimately satisfy us. I think that's one of the, the clear themes from Ecclesiastes. Earthly knowledge and experiences cannot ultimately satisfy us. Right in the first chapter here, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. This book begins and it ends, as we heard even this morning in our Scripture reading, with this exclamation, Vanity of vanities! All is vanity! Now, vanity is obviously a key word throughout the book. It, it, it came up 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It is, however, translated in all sorts of different ways across Bible translations. Literally, the word means vapor or smoke. And it, it conjures up this picture in our mind of something that is fleeting, elusive, it's here today and then gone. Uh, James described that, didn't he, when he talked about our life being a vapor. Same idea. Um, when, it, when we apply this idea of vanity to human undertakings or to the pleasures or joy of earthly life, we, we realize, as the Bible will teach us in 1 Corinthians seven thirty one, that the present form of this world is passing away. That the curse is still active on planet earth. And sin is still wreaking havoc in our land and in our lives. Uh, when we apply vanity to the darker realities of living, like uh, death, for example, which Ecclesiastes spends a lot of time talking about, it expresses the frustration that we have as humans. Sometimes the anger, certainly the sorrow. And when we apply this word, this idea, this theme of vanity to the preacher's search, his big project, this book, of the search for the meaning of all things, for understanding of all things, it comes to him that uh, there's a whole bunch of things that he can't find out. There's a whole bunch of things that even at the end of his project are still too hard for him. And this is Solomon we're talking about, right? The wisest man who ever lived. 
there are still some things that were incomprehensible that remained inscrutable to him. David Jeremiah uh, writes this at the end of Solomon's search about Ecclesiastes. Quote, having held the world's greatest jewels, built the world's greatest temple, and led the world's greatest nation, Solomon has sought the final treasure, no less than the meaning of life itself. He has hungered for the image of heaven on earth, the foretaste of heaven divine. So much flashes before him, the world's great libraries, wise men from all around the world, priests and princes and prophets, ships from exotic lands uh, previously unknown. And all of it comes down to nothing. What a conclusion he reaches. A second lesson. Not only can earthly knowledge and experiences not ultimately satisfy us, secondly, success can save no one from the fate of all humans. Death. Success can save no one from the fate of all humans, which is death. In chapter 2 and verse 14, the preacher writes, The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. One of the things that that Ecclesiastes taught us is that everything is level when it comes to death. The playing field is level. No matter how successful, no matter how important, no matter how rich you are, no matter how poor, no no matter how insignificant, no no matter how broken you are, death comes to all of us. And it was right about this time in our study of the book of Ecclesiastes that we kind of felt a lot of depression amongst our congregation. Like, wow, this is morbid stuff that we're going through. I mean, when is this darkness ever going to lift? And, uh, and we just kept telling people, hang on, hang on. There's, there, there's, there's brightness to come. There's, there's light to come. There's joy to come. Just hang on. But um, there is a silver lining in this book, isn't there? But he does conclude that no matter what we gain in life, we're all headed toward the same fate. And of course, theologically, there were a lot of references in Ecclesiastes that took us back to creation, weren't there? Uh, right at the beginning. Because human beings were created not sinful, weren't we? But we forfeited that righteousness that we originally possessed before God when we sinned. Ecclesiastes 7 And verse 29. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright. That's how we started off. That's the Garden of Eden. But they have sought out many schemes. We started out righteous, just, but it didn't go on that way, did it? The opening chapters of Genesis made it clear That death was a result of the fall. The reason why we have death is because of the sinfulness of man. Genesis 2, Genesis 3. And the preacher is only too aware of this horrible, dreadful reality that affects everyone. In fact, 
He writes about it in chapter 2, 14 to 17. He writes about it in chapter 3, verse 18 through 21. He writes about it again in chapter 6 and verse 6. He also writes about the effects of the curse. He's painfully aware, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, that the creation has been subjected to futility. That the creation is groaning. The, the preacher's aware of that. His, his more troubled thoughts and musings, are, are we should view those as the cry from the heart of someone who is also groaning inside. As Solomon looked around at this life and at all that it hold, he ended up doing a lot of groaning. And he fleshed out those groanings on the pages of Ecclesiastes. It's interesting, just a little side note, I don't know that we brought this out in the study, but when Paul refers to that creation being frustrated or being subjected to futility in Romans chapter 8, the, the Greek word that he uses there is the same word that's used 38 times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, which is the Bible that Jesus and his disciples would have had when they were here. They read from the Greek and they, that was the, the, the translation of the Old Testament into Greek. And 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, the word that, that we have translated vanity is the same word that Paul uses in Romans 8 about subjected to futility. And, and it's possible that Paul may have even had this book, the book of Ecclesiastes, on his mind as he was writing Romans 8, and all of that talk about groaning. Well, a third thought, a third takeaway, that work is both fulfilling and frustrating. Work is both fulfilling and frustrating. We know, again, going back to creation, Genesis 2.15, God gave Adam work to do prior to the fall. He was working before sin came into the world. Work was a part of how God designed us. But part of the punishment of Adam's sin is that now his work would become painful and difficult. And both of those realities we see in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 10 and verse 24. Over in chapter 3, let's read this one. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 22. He wrote, so I saw that there is nothing better that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Our work is our lot, and so we should rejoice in it. No matter how mundane it is, no matter how tedious it is, it's our lot to work. It's what we were created to do, and so we should Rejoice in it. He writes about it in chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. He writes about it in chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. He also not only finds his work to be satisfying, he finds it and fulfilling, he finds it to be frustrating and aggravating. Let's read uh, one of those. Why don't we just go to chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. And he goes on for several verses talking about the frustrating nature of work. So it can be rejoicing and satisfying. It provides for us. It gives us food to eat. But it also can be frustrating because it's under the curse. 
and there's difficulty and there's pain and we don't always have great bosses that we work for and we don't always have great fellow employees that we work for and we don't always have great clients and customers that we work for and that's all part of our struggle under the curse. Work can be fulfilling. It can also be frustrating. Notice another uh, application, for, uh, number four. Worrying is useless. Worrying is useless. Let me go back to Ecclesiastes 2 for a moment, verse uh, 22 and 23. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Been there? Even in the night, your heart does not rest. I think all of us have probably been there, haven't we? Many times. This verse may seem like another downer, but the message is actually a positive one. Being anxious about the cares of this life, whether they're big or little, gets us nowhere. It's a waste of our time and energy. So, claiming that abandoning worry is easier said than done would be the understate of the century. But endeavoring to clear our lives of this toxic habit is worth the effort. So it's good for us to know that worry is vanity so that we can fight against it, so that we can put it away out of our lives. Worrying is useless. Notice a fifth takeaway. God is the primary source of joy and pleasure in this life. I want to stay in chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. Listen to this. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Solomon recognized as he looked around his world, as he looked in his own life, that without God, all of this meaninglessness that Solomon talks about can really start to feel hopeless. Friends, if you look around at the world and just focus on the brokenness of this world, you're going to find yourself in a lot of despair. You're going to find yourself in a lot of worry. You're going to find yourself in a lot of anger. But knowing God, with God, even in this place that is broken and under the curse of sin, we can enjoy our lives. Every blessing that we experience comes from Him. And so God makes all the difference. And so we started talking about from the beginning of the study the, the difference between under the S-U-N and under the S. O-N. Because as Solomon describes life under the S-U-N, that's a humanist perspective, a secular perspective, everything looks pretty awful. There's all kinds of injustice. There's death. There's pain. There's cursing. There's frustration. But when we have a perspective that is under the S-O-N, under the rule of Jesus Christ, Everything that we look at in this life has a different perspective. And it makes all the difference. In fact, it brings us joy. The preacher spent a great deal of time 
commenting about all the twisted realities of a fallen world. But it didn't blind him to the beauty of the world that God created. Look over in chapter 3 and verse 11. He has made everything what? Beautiful in His time. Oh yes, if you focus on it uh, like little Pollyanna, if you focus on the bad, you'll find it every time. It's always there. You won't have any trouble finding the bad. Just turn on the news. If you need a refresher, you'll find some. But friends, you can see beauty all around you when you know God. Solomon writes about all these things uh, here in Ecclesiastes 2 and Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13. Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 20. Ecclesiastes 7, 14. Ecclesiastes 8, 15. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 7 and 9. All of these gifts that God bestows on us. All of these blessings that He gives in a very dark and disturbing book, study, project, report that Solomon brings to us. There are glimpses of light all throughout if you look for them, if you study them, if you see them. And we're to receive these humbly and enjoy them fully as blessings from God. Number six, we were made to crave more than this life can offer. This is a big, this is a big thing for us to learn. A lot of times we don't learn it until we're older. It's good to learn it while you're young. We were made to crave more than this life can offer. Uh, Right there in Ecclesiastes 3.11 again, he goes on to say, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. The truth is, if you find yourself yearning desiring for more than you can find in this earth. It's because God made you that way. God created you to long for something more than this world can provide. The truth is, true satisfaction will never come from earthly pleasures. You'll get some, I get get a lot of satisfaction from a lot of things in this life. There's incredible beauty in this world. There's wonderful food to taste in this world. There's exciting adventures to take in this world. But ultimate satisfaction, you won't find from earthly pleasures. And this is how we find our way to the Father. He has put in us a yearning for something more. And if we seek for Him, the Bible tells us we will find Him. If we seek with all our heart, we will find Him. And when we find Him, we will be satisfied. A seventh takeaway. Justice will ultimately prevail. In Ecclesiastes 3.17, Solomon wrote, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked For there is a time for every matter and for every work. God will judge the righteous and the wicked. You know, this world is a grossly unjust place. You can find injustice just about everywhere. 
It was in Solomon's time too. He discussed his frustration in watching evil continue on without any kind of punishment. The evil people got away with murder. But then he gives us this reassurance. God will restore justice. Again, if you look for injustice, you'll find it all day long on planet Earth. It'll get you worked up. It can get you really worked up. But God is involved. No matter what it looks like from day to day, God is watching. God is committed to righteousness, and we should be as well. God will right all wrongs, ultimately. You can depend on that. Number eight. Another lesson we learned in this book was that godly relationships make life sweeter. There's a beautiful verse in chapter 4, verse 12. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So here's a quick illustration of that. Yesterday, um, my, uh, my two boys and uh, their friend Cameron were uh, over at the mall, and they'd come out of the mall and were going to Cameron's pickup truck, and there was someone sitting in the pickup truck who didn't belong in the pickup truck, who was sorting through some things in the pickup truck. So uh, Cameron got to the pickup truck and opened the door and said, what are you doing? And um, who knows what, what might have happened if Cameron was by himself. But then at the other window appeared the giants, Jason and Jonathan. And the young man's response was, I think I'll go. You know, when we, apply this in a, when we apply this in a positive way, Solomon spends time in chapter 4 discussing the beauty of friendship and the richness of human connection that that, that, that can bring to our lives. And in that, in that last verse of, of that section, Solomon mentions this, this cord of three strands. And, and it's, it's sometimes we, we talk about that at, uh, at wedding ceremonies. You know, you have the bride and the groom and, and, and then the Lord, and, and that those three cords, you know, make a good, strong marriage. But this enhanced and powerful cord consists of, 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 of more than just you. And, and there's, there, there's, when you have relationships with, with each other, it makes life sweeter. God designed us to grow in community. That's why we emphasize the importance of gathering together. Not not only on our Sunday morning gatherings, but in Bible studies and in and in small groups and in and 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 serving in ways like at the mom house and in other uh, ministries of the church. The more that Christians get together in community, the more they grow. The sweeter the relationship is, and this is the way God designed us and and solomon gives us that wisdom godly relationships make life sweeter and stronger and protect you from carjackers all right number nine another principle it's best to let go of the past look over at chapter 7 verse 10 
Solomon says here in all this contrast of, of wisdom and foolishness, verse 10, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Oh boy, we always do this, don't we? The good old days. The golden days. Back when things were better. When Ozzie and Harriet were on TV. You know. Now seriously, you know, we, we oftentimes have golden memories of the good things that have happened in our lives in the past. We like to remember them. I've spent a lot of time this last couple of weeks remembering a lot of things that happened in my past with my dad. And they're wonderful memories. But as seasons change, and as we engage in self-reflection, it's important not to get too caught up in the events of the past. Whatever great things happened, and they were, Whatever mistakes we made, and we did. Whoever we spent our time with, the past is the past. No amount of reflection can bring it back or change it. And God knows that sometimes our tendency to rehash things can be destructive in our lives. That doesn't mean we should never reflect or think about things that happened in the past. But we shouldn't, it shouldn't be our focus. We shouldn't live in the past. God has work for us to do today and tomorrow. And we need to focus on the future. Of course, Paul talked about that also in Philippians 3, didn't he? Forgetting the things that are behind. He had a lot of baggage in his past. He didn't like to remember. Um, but reaching toward the things that are before, pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Number 10, all seasons of life are valuable. All seasons of life are valuable. So try to enjoy the one you're in. Try to enjoy the one you're in. Also in chapter 7, verse 14, Solomon writes, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. This is another wonderfully reassuring verse. Even when times are tough, or we're experiencing hardship, we are learning and growing I've, I've, uh, I've tried to learn this, and I'm still learning this. I talked with my mom several times over the last several weeks that as my dad was, was on the ventilator up in Canada and we just didn't know what was happening, uh, we, we talked about the fact that, you know, we knew what we wanted. We wanted him to get better, right? But we didn't know what God was up to. And so the way we would pray is, God, please Please heal him. Please do a miracle. But if, it, if you will receive more glory from him not getting better, then your will be done. That's not an easy prayer to pray. But I think it's the right prayer to pray. You know, when, when you go through something, and, and many of you in this room have gone through losing your parents, this was my first one. So I'm catching up with you. I'm learning something that lots of you have already learned. 
And, and hopefully, it'll make me a better pastor. I'll be able to sympathize and empathize with you better now because of the experiences that I've gone through with the Lord. And that's the way it is for all of us. So whatever season of life you're in, maybe you're in a life where everything is just going gangbusters. Praise God. Enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. And if you're in the valley, consider, consider, God designed that valley to do work in you and in others. So enjoy the ride. Number 11, the bottom line, fear God. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. After telling us about all the things that don't matter in life, Solomon ends his book by telling us what does matter. God. Solomon concludes his grand quest for meaning of life at the author of it all. Promising us that true satisfaction will only be found in him. Some people say that this verse does a good job of summarizing the whole Bible, actually. And I think it might. The fact that all is vanity should drive us to take refuge in God. Where else can we go? That's what Peter said, right? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Look around, folks. Do you see the vanity? Do you see the meaninglessness? Run to Christ. Run to Christ. His work endures forever. Ecclesiastes 3.14 He is a rock for people who take shelter in Him. It should drive us to Him and when we come to Him and realize who He is, that He is the sovereign Lord and Creator of all things. He's designed the good and the bad in our lives to work together all things, working together for our good. He's designed the hard days as well as the good days. We run to Him and we fear Him. We revere Him. We stand in awe of Him. We bow our knees before Him. Over and over, these themes came up. Ecclesiastes 3.14. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 7. Ecclesiastes 12, where we just read, 13 and 14. Also back, chapter 7, verse 18. Chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. These themes came up over and over and over. Well, let's take just a moment. Um, I'll have some closing remarks in here, but let's just take a few minutes. And Pastor Trey, would you, would you grab the handheld microphone? And let's just see uh, if you have any thoughts as we close out this book. What has stood out to you? What verses have, has the Lord directed and shine brighter than the other ones around them to you? Uh, what have you marked up the most in your Bible or your Scripture journal? 
what, what insights has the Lord helped you with in your life as a result of going through this study? Pastor Trey, did you want to lead off maybe with a quick word and then, um, and then we'll see if anyone wants to say anything? Am I good, Roy? Okay. You're good. Yeah, I, um, I wanted to share one thing. Uh, if, uh, I, I'm fairly certain that I was the person to suggest preaching through Ecclesiastes, so if you haven't enjoyed it, you can uh, you know, cast your blame at me. Um, I didn't know what, I, I had some thoughts about how the book would affect us and affect our congregation, and I think it's been good for us to go through. But, um, you know, from a young age, uh, we have parents who reward us when we do well and maybe punish us when we do poorly, and we begin to think that way. And we go to school, and if we do well, we get A's, and we do poorly, we get not A's, and um, we get reinforced, and we go to work, and um, we get pay raises or we get fired. We even have expressions in our families, happy life, happy, happy wife, happy life. You know, we, 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 get, we get trained that, hey, you better do a good job. You better, your life better be sharp. You better do right. And Ecclesiastes kind of flies in the face of that. It reminds us that time and chance happen to everyone. It reminds us, the pastor just said in the 10th theme, that uh, consider the day of adversity and prosperity. God makes them both. Now, I know sometimes we have self-inflicted wounds in life. We, we do things that bring hard things on ourselves, and that can be part of the process. But I also know that in my own life, when things aren't going well, I sometimes just am unfairly or unnecessarily hard on myself in the sense of, well, I've probably messed this up. Or if I was better, if I was doing a gift, things would be working out okay if I was hanging on to the wheel a little tighter. <laughs> and I, this Ecclesiastes just reminded me that that's not always true. That sometimes God just ordains hard things in our lives. And perseverance wouldn't be called perseverance if it was easy. It'd be called fun. <laughs> and uh, you and I all have things in our lives that we just have to trust the Lord for. And I don't think I need the extra baggage of blame sometimes. Now, I'm not going to stop doing my best. I'm, I'm probably why. I'm, I'm not going to just throw my hands up and do nothing. I think chapter 4 talks about that. The fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. Don't be that guy. Don't, don't say, well, I'll take my toys and go home. Keep trying. Keep being wise. Keep being hardworking. But I need a hand full of work and a hand open with rest. And I think that's what chapter 4, verse 6 said. And that's just been really ministering to me through all the things I'm dealing with in life, to just be at peace and trust the Lord and know that just because life is a mixed bag of good and bad doesn't mean I'm failing. It just means I'm human. Okay, who has a, who has a verse or a quick insight? I don't know how many of you uh, would like to speak, but uh, we can come around to you and just we'll make them quick. Uh, just a verse that stands out to you. Uh, Rhonda, and then I saw Brian over here, and we'll keep going. Mine isn't exactly a verse. It's kind of an aha moment. Um, I'm preparing to retire this year, and as we were going through the book, um, it was very insightful to me that as I look back over um, the things that I've done at work, and I've been blessed to have very challenging work that it's not those things that I should be proud about. It's the example of a Christian in the workplace and um, how I've treated people. Hopefully, 
that that's what I should be proud of and people remember me for. And as I go into this next phase of my life that I have work out of the way, but I have a clear perspective as to really what is my work. Um, one other thing yeah. is that with my son, I always try to impart the lessons that I've learned along the way. And he's at that stage in his life where he's going to be getting married and he's building his future. And, you know, so much of it revolves around his work. And this was just a really great thing for me to be able to give him perspective and impart on him cool. what's really important. Thank you, sister. Uh, Brian, back here. Uh, who who is after Brian? Just raise your hand real quick. Uh, where who am I looking at? Is that is there a hand back there? No. Oh, it's somebody's head above somebody else's head. That looks like a hand. Okay, sorry. All right. I'll be an easy act to follow. So go ahead. You know, feel free. Um, I always go back to the um, Ecclesiastes three: a time to a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. I mean, you, you think of the song, obviously, do everything, turn, 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 but you know, in, in life, we're going to have the ups and downs, and, you know, like you just said today, enjoy the season you're in, because, you know, it, it's going to be a fleeting time, so um, life's hard, and, you know, you have to just deal with what you have. Also, you had talked in, uh, I think it was Ecclesiastes 3 still, that uh, Christians are not in, in control of their God, and non-Christians are in control of their God, so... You know, just, I'm not in control. I need to realize that. I try to control things, you know, and I try to worry about things, which I shouldn't worry about. So, you know, it's just understand that God's in control, and I just need to look to him more. So, Praise the Lord. Thanks, Brian. Anybody else quickly? Just make sure I see your hand if you're waving it at me. Okay. All right. Praise team, why don't you come on up? And I just have a couple of closing comments here. We'll sing, and then we'll move into our ABF hour. Just a just a final thought here. Yesterday at my dad's funeral service, I heard a bunch of people talking about my dad's life and personality. And the truth is, as many of you know, those moments are bittersweet. It's almost uh, you almost feel like you could picture I could picture my dad in the words of his friends. But it's not the same as seeing him, right? Or hearing him speak to me or feeling his embrace. And we might respond that way to Ecclesiastes too. You know, we're grateful for the preacher's message. He has shown us a lot of wisdom under the sun. But the preacher isn't God, is he? In fact, the preacher Solomon did not live up to the wisdom of that he had learned and taught us, did he? 1 Kings 11.6 says, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. The writer of our book. The truth is, every human wise man has fallen short in his own wisdom. The preacher can't save himself. He can't save anybody of, any one of us in this room. So what I love about the end of Ecclesiastes in that last chapter is when he pointed us to listen for the voice of our shepherd. The words that were given to us 
by our one shepherd, capital S, in chapter 12. We look through the human wise man that the shepherd inspired to help us, and we look to the shepherd himself for our hope, for our purpose. And one author wrote this in relation to Psalm 23. As we look out at the wants, the pastures, the paths, the deadness of our souls, the valleys of earth's shadow, of death's shadow, and the presence of enemies, we engage these realities under the sun by contemplating God as our shepherd. This shepherd is the Lord, the want provider, the rest giver, the pastor and path leader, the soul restorer. He is the valley walker, the with me overcomer, the comforter, the table preparer, the head anointer, the cup filler, the goodness and mercy sender, the house dweller, and the forever, all the days of my life, securer. That's our shepherd. God is the one who says he will shepherd us, who will seek out those who have been scattered, who will go to any place to rescue us, to gather us home, to feed those of us who are hungry, to lead us, to give rest to the weary, to seek those of us who are lost, to mend those of us who are injured, to give strength to those of us who are weak, and to fight off and protect us from those who threaten to devour us. And God made good on His promise, didn't He? To be our shepherd. Jesus, the Son of David, the King, the S-O-N, He comes into the wreckage under the sun. He is the Good Shepherd who knows His sheep by name. He will lay down His life for them here in this vain world. The one shepherd, the one greater than Solomon. He has come and has made all the difference. Can we sing a song of praise to the Lord Jesus as we close this morning? Let's stand together.